Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. And what is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. When I work with elite performers, one thing is definitely true. They are able to reframe challenging situations and learn from them and to turn them into growth opportunities. Today, my guest is Winston Clements, and he has a great TEDx talk called Your Limitations Are an Illusion, and it couldn't be any more true. There's a story that I learned in The Art of Possibility, and basically, there's a shoe company, and the shoe company wants to grow in profits, so it sends two scouts out to rural areas in Africa, different cities, different rural towns, but in the same general geographic area. Both scouts meet generous, wonderful people who happen to not be wearing any shoes. But how they respond to the situation is completely different. Scout One writes back, terrible news. Nobody here is wearing shoes. Situation is hopeless. The other scout with the same type of people and the same challenge, writes something completely different. Incredible news. Wonderful business opportunity. Nobody is wearing shoes. Can you help me see what I'm not able to see? And like my guest Winston says, maybe your limitations are just an illusion. In today's show, you're going to enjoy hearing exactly how Winston looks at life, see through his lens, learn how to become more resilient, and demonstrate extreme ownership, even in the tough stuff that we all face. So, Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And before we start the show, a message from our sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, a program designed to develop your students' executive function and non-cognitive skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Have you ever wondered what kind of leader makes a good mastermind member? Well, recently I asked the leaders I serve, and here's what they said about their peers. Eileen, a deputy head in Qingzhou, China, said, Mastermind members are supportive, wise, and not afraid to kick your butt. Chris, a vice principal in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada, courageous risk takers and learners are how I describe my mastermind peers. And finally, Melody, a principal in Kentucky, said mastermind members are generous, driven, and never satisfied with the status quo. If that sounds like you or peers that you'd like to surround yourself with, apply to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Here we are with Dr. Kelly Crane, expert coach at Better Leaders, Better Schools with another tip of the week. Danny, today's tip is very simple. Take pictures. 
I always forget to take pictures. I always have my phone, but I don't take pictures. So make sure you have somebody with you, whether it be a student or a staff member or somebody you can rely on to take pictures. It's so important because you need to capture those memories with the kids. And you need to be able to have something in a file somewhere when it's time to do celebrations or time for graduation that you could put together a video slideshow so quickly. I think that a student photographer would probably be the best bet. And just make sure they're capturing those moments. They're so important. Let's be honest, they're going to know how to use the latest tech and apps and everything way better than you. Uh, and, and I think a younger person is going to have access and permission to get to some of the moments that you might be locked out of as a school leader. So you might get some uh, even better, I guess, media to tell the school's story by including these kiddos and giving them a little bit of a leadership opportunity. Ruckus Maker, I want to introduce to you Winston Ben Clements, who was predicted to live a life of isolation and pain due to a rare bone disorder that stunted his growth and caused his bones to be extremely fragile, fracturing more than 150 times by age 12. Despite his small stature, three feet tall, and using a wheelchair, Winston has taken a stand for a quality of life that knows no limits. Nowadays, he is a speaker and trainer, empowering audiences worldwide to break through their own barriers. Winston's mission is to inspire 1 billion people to unleash their full human potential. In 2018, he delivered a TEDx talk titled, Your Limitations Are an Illusion, that had a massive impact online. Learn more about his work at winstonclements.com. Winston, welcome to the show. Finally, happy to be here, dude. Thanks for having me. Uh-huh. Yeah, we met, had a great intro call, and uh, was so excited to invite you here on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. You know that uh, the person listening right now, we call them a ruckus maker, right? They break <laughs> free from the status quo. They uh, want to never, ever give up, and they make change happen. And that's what you're all about, Winston. So, Let's start here, right? It's really easy. And, it's, and I'm talking about myself to fall into a, a victim mentality. Like I can be the biggest baby when it comes to stuff. But I, d- I don't want to be like that. The ruckus maker listening, they want to fight against that. And you're passionate about extreme ownership. Can you bring us to the moment where extreme ownership clicked for you? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, thank you. And you know, the, the thing about victim mentality and, you know, being in extreme ownership, for me, it's almost like, because I think people, when they come across me and they hear my story, you know, like you touched on, I broke 150 bones by the age of 12, which is a lot. You know, I had all this physical trauma and I was still able to overcome and get through and, you know, do my education, get to work for big organizations. And, and now as a motivational speaker, doing what I do and reaching and hopefully impacting many people in a positive way, right? And and so when people see me and they have this first impression of me, they think, oh, you know what? That Winston dude must be the most super resilient dude ever. And he must never play the victim. He must never have a bad day. Well, I'm here to dispel that myth completely because I do have my bad days as well. And um, the reason why I love this idea, you know, and, and I don't see resilience as a binary thing. You know, I don't, I don't believe it's something that you are. 
or you're not. The way I talk about it often is I almost see it as a muscle, something that you need to work on. And I compare it like going to the gym. You know, you, Daniel, you could show up on the gym on day one. Maybe you don't look too great or maybe you don't feel too great because you haven't been to the gym for a while, right? But after you put yourself through the workouts, through the exercise, you know, two weeks later, a month later, six months later, you start to see the differences. And exactly the same way with resilience and same way with taking ownership and not playing the victim. But let me also address the reason why playing the victim can also be attractive. <laughs> so the reason why sometimes we want to fall into that victim mentality is it feels good. It feels good to be the big baby when things don't go your way. Because now you have all the attention, now you have all the sympathy and empathy of your friends, your family, which, which I'm sure is something that you can relate to or maybe the listener can relate to as well. But where we want to take this is extreme ownership, which is to say, and again, to use my example, you know, yes, I was born with this situation. You know, I'm physically I'm handicapped and, you know, I have mobility problems because I use a wheelchair. But extreme ownership forces you to ask the question, which is, how can I still find a way to win despite the cards that I'm dealt? And I'm not going to probably sit back and say that, you know, there was one day I woke up and I felt in full ownership because, like I said, it's not a binary situation. I have some good days and bad days. But one of the keys which I'll talk about that has really helped me step into that is surrounding myself with the right people. And for me, that started off initially with my parents and my siblings and then stepping into the school system. And then even now as a grown-up, you know, having mentors and coaches. And to be honest, Daniel, people who just call me up on my own BS when I'm playing the victim, when I'm letting a challenge or adversity get the better of me, you know, I have someone like you come along and say, hey, Winston, come on, man, you know, you can get through this. Stop stop playing the victim. Practice what you preach. <laughs> and that's tough. You know, uh, when I talk to people about productivity, I'm, I'm connecting a dot here for me, but productivity, uh, generating great value for your organization, it has to do with a talk I do on focus. I mentioned, well, if you tell your team, here's my deep work hours, right? And from 12 to 3, I'm going to do the most important work for my organization. And then at 1230, they see you in the gym playing basketball with the kids. They're going to call you on it, right? And so that's that's a big part, I think, of uh, extreme ownership is realizing, you know what, by myself, I'm probably too weak uh, and soft to make it on my own. But if I surround myself with, you know, a personal board of directors or community that will challenge me when I am in those weak moments, that's that's a game changer is what I'm hearing a part of what you're saying, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and it's not, I think it takes a lot of guts to put yourself in that situation because like you say, you know, if you're, to use your example, if you're saying between 12 to 3, I'm going to be doing task A, but then really what you what your board members or what your teammates catch you doing is task B, you know, you're, you've, you've exposed yourself to that public accountability, right? And you just triggered another example, which I heard recently, or I think I read about it, about one of the CEOs, I think she worked for Yahoo, a massive corporation. And one of the things that she did, which I found to be really brave, was when when her annual appraisal report came out, she actually made it public to her team. So she made it public so that they could see, you know, that she too, somebody with her experience, somebody at her level, somebody with her talent, 
an authority still has things that she needs to work on. She's still got feedback on the items that she needed to develop over the next six months or 12 months or whatever the period was. And, you know, putting yourself, exposing yourself to that level of accountability is it's difficult and it can be painful because people will scrutinize you. But at the same time, it really puts you in a position which is of the growth mindset, which you're all trying to get to. We're actually always seeking ways to develop and not getting comfortable, which I believe is almost the enemy of progress. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant because then she, there, uh, there's nowhere to hide. There's no mask she can wear. You see the areas where she needs to grow and imagine the tone that sets for everybody else in the organization, right? Uh, so you're multiple levels, hierarchically, you know, below the CEO and you have something to grow on. Maybe you ask out, you know, for help. Maybe you raise your hand the next time you're unsure about something. But that's a that's a beautiful story. Thank you uh, for sharing it, Winston. No worries. So resilience, um, we touched on a bit there in the intro. In in you know, it's really about managing ourselves, right? Managing change, stress, mental health, and it kind of sounded like it's a continuum, right? You said it's not binary. You're resilient or you're not, but Besides community, are there some things that you do that really works? Yeah, and um, so so community aspect is massive for me, obviously. Um, and another story, actually, a short story that I can add to that is, you know, when I was younger, and this I think this will be super relevant to the people listening. So growing up, you know, initially before I got to school age, I was obviously spending time with my parents, spending time with my siblings you know, people that were familiar with me, with my situation, and, you know, they knew what I was capable of and what I wasn't. So I was in this, I guess you could call it a bubble. I was in my comfort zone, right? And it wasn't until I went to school. So now I'm like age five or something, whatever school age is. And now I have to go into this new environment. You know, I'm not home anymore. I'm stepping into the classroom. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by, what, 20 kids, you know, a teacher, who probably never seen anybody who looked like me before or who, who has my background, um, at least medical background at the time, because it's quite a rare condition that I have. But one of the keys, again, which I believe has really helped me was in making that school, uh, that decision of sending me to school, my parents had a choice. They could have sent me to a special school, you know, for kids with special needs, disabilities or handicapped. Or they could have sent me to what we call a mainstream school, which is just standard school. And let me just figure out my own way, you know, in the jungle, like everybody else. And I'm so thankful, and this is something that I always reiterate, I'm so thankful that they chose the latter, you know, send me into the jungle and let me figure it out. And it's not to say that it was easy. You know, I remember those first few days thinking, wow, I kind of wish I was in a special school where they would protect me a little bit more. Or, you know, where, you know, the other kids would would maybe have the similar challenges to what I've got or where I'd feel like I could fully participate. But actually the thing that helped me start to build up, and I think this is what we were touching on, is this resilience of being able to bounce back and not just bounce back, but actually be creative and find ways to win even when those cards are not dealt in your favor. So in addition to community, I think for me, it's that whole idea of trying new things, stepping out of that comfort zone and being proactive. Because I remember one of the things that I used to complain about initially when I started at school would be, oh, the other kids are not playing with me. 
you know, they're all playing football, Daniel. How am I going to play football, right? Or, or they're all playing basketball. How can I get involved, right? And my parents encouraged me to actually, you know, figure out a way of voicing the things that I, I did want to do, the games that I could play. Being proactive instead of expecting that people are going to come to Winston and figure out what Winston needs, right? And so when I learned that the idea of, hey, okay, you guys are playing basketball, um, could I referee the game, as an example? Or, you know, could I keep score or whatever? You know, find ways of putting myself forward for different things. That was actually a way of me building resilience because it was forcing me to be creative. And then the additional, I guess, point I'd like to add in terms of building resilience, one of the other things that has helped me now kind of fast forwarding to me as a grown up is actually setting that big mission, you know, that mission that you touched on, having a billion and one billion. One billion, yeah. You know, ah. <laughs> because when it's a billion people, and actually I'll give a bit of a backstory. So when I was younger, or ever since I've been young, Daniel, I've always had this intuition that I wanted to have a big impact in the world. I didn't know what it was. Definitely didn't have any idea that it would be connected to public speaking or anything like that. I just knew that I had this burning ambition to do something big. And so fast forward, you know, when I finally landed up as a public speaker, I thought, you know what, now I feel like I'm truly living my purpose. I mean, yes, I've worked for big corporations. I've done a, a bunch of cool stuff. But actually being able to give back and to help people and to see that instant impact that you can have just by sharing your story is how I, how I want the rest of my life to be. And so with setting that goal of a billion, well, first of all, it excites me because a billion is like, wow, you know, this is now we're talking the global level, right? But more importantly, in terms of building resilience is it then forces the agenda to be more than just about Winston. It's no longer just about Winston. It's about, for example, I've been in situations where I've been booked to speak somewhere, Daniel, and, you know, I wake up on the day, maybe I've got a bit of a cold, a bit of a sore throat, and I'm thinking, ah. Damn, today's the day I need to travel like six hours to give this like 20-minute talk, right? And then normally that that would be a bummer. That would be something that would really hold me back. But because now I have this big goal of inspiring a billion people, it then becomes, hey, Winston, you know, you, you just need to man up. You need to, you know, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about you having your little cough and your sneeze and your cold. You know, this is part of your big mission, your legacy to impact a billion people. So in doing that, it forces me to be resilient, if that makes sense, because it's no longer just about wisdom. It's about the impact and hopefully part of my journey of leaving this world a better place than I found it. So I want to get to the billion people for impact in, in mm. a second. But first, a question about resilience to leaving the bubble, leaving the comfort zone. You see the value in it and you've grown tremendously. Yeah. Uh, you've developed extreme ownership. Are there any, I know what we say to ourselves is so powerful. So I'm just curious and it might be nothing for you, but are there any phrases or scripts that you have or anything you do when facing that challenge to say, okay, I could see the threshold of the comfort zone and I'm going to choose to pass it, right? So is there, is there something that get you going to that moment. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, so maybe not so much a phrase, but one thing which I know is key to me now is my my routine and particularly my morning routine. So just to kind of give you a quick rundown, my morning routine will include, you know, for me it's prayer. It will include meditation. It will include physical exercise. 
um, which in my case is either stretching or maybe even moving to like some music or something like that. But the key thing that it 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 must have is no screens. So I don't pick up my phone. I don't look at the TV or mess around with any screens first thing in the morning. And you might say to yourself, okay, that sounds like a really nice practice, but what does it have to do with resilience, right? But for me, what I've found is, you know, having that time to myself in the morning, you know, being able to just focus on me and almost speaks to the idea of filling my own cup up first before I start to fill anybody else's cup. So that while, as, as I'm going through the day and there's various things happening, you know, there might be situations in life or in business which perhaps don't go the way I would like or which might be upsetting or which might be challenging. It could be a psychological thing or maybe a mind trick on myself, but because I've done my morning routine, my morning stuff, and I've started the day, you know, by looking after myself, by being proactive, by blocking out interferences and distractions, I then feel like I've got this extra 10, 20% resilience that whatever happens to me during the day, I, I feel like I can deal with it in a manner which perhaps would be more reactive if I hadn't taken that time out to look after myself in the morning. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes an incredible sense. One, Tim Galloway's performance equation is your performance is equal to your potential minus interference. And uh, you, in a very tangible way, are blocking out interference in the beginning of the day. Now, other stuff happens. Interference could be people, it could be emotions, all this kind of stuff. But you're starting off you know, on the right foot. And then the second thing, you know, I want to just come clean. So we're recording in August. This is uh, being released, you know, much later. I'm sorry, um, in December. So it's December 2019. Uh, But what I want to come clean with is like, I talk about this morning routine quite a bit. And I'm usually incredible. Like every single day, don't break the chain. And uh, I I, I went to New Orleans, uh, New York, Boston, New Orleans for some speakings, some family was business and pleasure. And when I got back, Winston, my routine, everything is screwed up. And I had a toothache. Okay, back to playing the victim. Like I had a toothache during this time. So I stopped journaling. My meditation got all messed up my fitness. And I still, it's been about a month and I'm still not there. And I bet I know that once I get back to it and I'm able to fix it all, that the other things I'm trying to accomplish, it's amazing how it all just sort of starts to happen because the alignment, the focus, all that kind of stuff. So I just want to say thank you for sharing that. It's a, it's really important to have the morning routine going. And I also want to share too, because it's so easy online, the podcast, Twitter, whatever, that people think like superhumans and this kind of stuff. But it's, you know, like you said, there, there's days where you're not resilient and there's days where I'm screwing up <laughs> my morning routine or not going to the gym. And so I say that to encourage the ruckus maker because you got to get back on track. So Saying that out loud now, last thing I'm going to say, uh, now I'm going <laughs> to shut up, <laughs> is that now I know like in the mastermind, every meeting, we say, what's the one big thing? And I'm always talking about, oh, shipping this book proposal or you know, working on the community and these bigger sort of organizational goals. And really, I just need to tell everybody, my personal sucks right now. My habits are terrible. I'm not being consistent. I want you guys to hold me accountable there, not the, not the book stuff. So. Thank you for opening the door to uh, me just letting everybody know that I've been a massive failure recently. <laughs> no, I love that. And, and that's true leadership, right? Just like the Yahoo CEO who put all her 
or her, you know, personal development plan in public for everybody to see and potentially laugh and criticize and point the finger, you know, you're doing exactly the same way to show that, hey, even as a leader, I'm not perfect every single day of the week. So I commend you for that too, Dan. Thank you for connecting the dots because I've just been, I've been feeling overweight and, uh, you know, like ineffective looking at that scale and looking at my journal and like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to reframe that. So I appreciate it. Cool. Well, Winston, let's pause here just for a moment for a message from our sponsors, but Ruckus Maker, when we get back, we're going to talk about 1 billion people. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder is an evidence-based RTI Tier 1 universal level solution and focuses on improving executive functioning and non-cognitive skills. You can learn more and improve your student success at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Winston Clements. We were talking resilience. We were talking uh, me stepping on the (laughs) scale and just blowing it. (laughs) But in the intro with your bio, you talk about impacting a billion people, which is a audacious goal. You know, I commend you on that and it's inspiring. People come to me because I think that I, I know I help people become more productive, create more value at the organization. I have ways and systems to set that up and then measure the success. And so I don't, personally, I don't have a goal yet, like 1 billion. So something that big, how do you how do you think about it? And maybe you measure it, maybe you don't. I don't know. But if you do, like, how do you approach measuring uh, attaining that goal? Yeah, yeah. So I think first of all, in terms of how I think about it, so one element is what we talked about earlier. You know, having that goal that is almost so big that it then forces you to transcend yourself, so that it's not it's no longer about wisdom. It's no longer about Dan or you know, the ruckus maker, it's it's about me having this level of impact, right? So that's one element of it. Uh, the other side of it, which I, I like to talk about because it, it just makes me smile is, you know, you, you almost have to be a little bit crazy to believe that you can do something so audacious. And I consider myself and I embrace it, but I am a little bit crazy. In fact, I was speaking with somebody the other day and he, he was sort of asking me, if you know, if you were to write a book, Winston, what would be the title? And I said, delusion. I feel like the title of my book would be just delusion. And, you know, not delusion in almost like a non-realistic or like self-deprecating way, but I almost embrace it in its positive sense of, you know, being, being almost being that kid who's willing to color outside the lines, you know, you know, stepping out of those boundaries, which are so easy to fall into because that's the programming of, our parents, you know, the society, the media and everything that surrounds us. And so for me, you know, being able to do that, and I think there's a famous quote as well, which is what I'm trying to recall now, you know, I think it's the people who are crazy enough to believe that they can make a change or those that do or something like that. Um, I might have butchered that. Um, but for me, that's where that mantra comes from. And so what I would encourage the, the ruckus maker right now, or anyone listening to this is, you know, how, how crazy can you make your go? How delusional can you get? Because for me, like I said, that brings excitement, that brings gratitude, and it forces you to transcend who you are so that it's no longer about ego, it's no longer about material. It's about that change that you're living in society. And uh, I asked our good friend Google about that quote while you were <laughs> riffing right there. 
And uh, I, I knew that came, I was pretty sure from uh, Steve Jobs. And he said, people crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who actually do. That's right. So it is, it is about having that inspiring uh, yeah, idea and just actually making it happen. So how do you measure that though? Like, right, you know? Yeah, yeah. So for me, the way I measure is because I do a number of different things. So some of my work is, you know, speaking at conferences, I speak in corporations, but I also do stuff online. I do videos on YouTube. I do videos on my social media. So for me, I'm just looking for impact. I'm just looking to reach people through all my media platforms. And so I'll measure, I'll look at things like my, you know, for example, I think we've worked it out that I probably had in the last 12 months reached about 120,000 people through live conferences, through online, through even amazing podcasts like this, right? So whoever's watching this, you know, I'm going to be looking at the analytics afterwards and adding that to my total. So, you know, and, and I think it kind of gives you a sense of, okay, when you say 120,000 compared to a billion, it sounds, you know, insignificant. But if you told me 12 months ago that I'd be able to, 120,000 different people would hear my voice, my message and get some value, that would have been mind-blowing. So it's almost one of those goals that, because it's so ridiculous and so audacious, you know, it's almost like you're happy to shoot for the for the moon and if you land in the stars, it's still a good place to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to offer you something, take it or leave it, but it's also for the ruckus maker listening. Yeah. Measuring what matters is so important, right? So I'd love if I visit visit your website, you know, and I saw there like 1 billion as your goal, like what's the number that you've actually impacted in having it grow? So each time I visit that mm. number bigger, you know what I mean? Because here, here's the thing. I have a friend, uh, Josh Spodek, he wrote uh, Leadership Step-by-Step. He has a podcast, Leadership in the Environment, and uh, a new uh, book out as well. Uh, and one of the things that I love about his emails is his signature, which mm. has all his values. So just real quick, I won't read them all, but months to produce a load of garbage. Like he's like, he's the greenest guy you'll ever meet. So 16 months since he's taken out one bag of garbage, like that's insane, right? Uh, Days picking up at least one piece of litter, 510. Daily burpees, 111,050, right? Uh, Blog posts, 3,207 in in counting. Oh yeah, and that that other book was on initiative. I was blanking on the title. But what I'm saying is that inspires me, right? Mm. And having you, Winston, say a billion people and to hear that you're making this impact to see it, like you don't even know that you're communicating necessarily this inspiration to me and the ruckus maker listening. But those little things like have huge impact. And so for the listener, how are you uh, communicating progress toward the audacious goals you set to your staff, to the parents in your community, to your students, because they're all watching, right? So why not give them something that's going to encourage them? So yeah, take take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that actually. And it's something that's been on my mind because again, that speaks to the public accountability that we mentioned earlier, right? Yeah. And and it's not hard to implement with technology in this day and age. All I'd have to do is put a little slider, you know, with one billion at the end and just have a progress bar. Yeah. So that's something that could 
impl- I could implement so quick. So thank you for doing that. I'm going to take that as a top tip for my next uh, website update. So look out for that. And the other leadership tip, you don't have to, and you already know this, I know you've got a team, but that's not you doing the counting. So you delegate that one out, somebody updates your website for you, and it's done. All right. So last two questions to uh, wrap up this conversation. One would be if you could put a message on a, a school marquee and have it broadcast for one day, schools across the mm. world, what would your message read? My message would read, start before you're ready. It would be as simple as that. Because, and, and the reason why that speaks to me on a personal level is, you know, growing up with a background that I did, you know, like we mentioned, had all these medical challenges growing up. And I guess, actually, it was a bit of a strange situation that I found myself in because on one hand, I had all the medical stuff, but on the other hand, I truly believed that I wanted to achieve and I was destined to achieve, you know, something big or to have some big level of impact globally. But I think, you know, from where I was physically with all those, you know, things that were happening to my body, it was really hard to make the connection, to join the dots between where I was to where I wanted to get to. And I always used to think, well, maybe I have to wait until my my condition becomes more stable, right? Or maybe I have to wait until until maybe I'm 25 to start doing my public speaking because I don't feel like I'm a confident public speaker yet. You know, various other things. And I think this will be really relatable to the Rackers listener because we all have these situations in life, you know. Maybe, maybe I want to wait till, you know, I don't know, a certain amount of time to apply for a master's degree or a PhD, right? Because I don't feel confident yet. I don't feel skilled enough to do that. Or it could be a relationship situation. It could be a health goal. You know, maybe you're thinking you need to wait, you know, another two weeks before you go back to doing your daily routine. <laughs> Giving yourself like six weeks off, right? But for me, it's, it's that whole, you know, going back to the advice, well, start before you're ready. If you need to do it as a baby step, do it as a baby step. You know, it's almost like going to the gym and yeah, maybe I want to lift 100 kg today, but maybe I'm not ready for that. Maybe I need to take some of the weights off and try 50 kg. So, and and if, in, in the real world, if that means you having somebody hold you accountable so that they check in on you, Daniel, and make sure that you did your morning routine or somebody else and make sure that they did their, you know, school application forms or applied for that job or you know, did whatever they had to do in their personal life, then then use that as a first step. But what you cannot do is sit back and wait for all your ducks to be lined up in a row before you make any movement because you're either going to lose so much time or B, you're just never going to get started in the first place. Mm. Last question. Winston, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I think in, in terms of dreams, one of the things is something that we're speaking about offline. So, and, and this is a challenge that I get when I speak to various leaders, especially within the school system, but also in corporations because they're kind of upstream and see the effects of this. So for me, three things that our school should have would be, first of all, to promote not just technical skill, but also creativity. Because just because a child isn't particularly gifted at mathematics or the sciences, it doesn't mean that they should be undervalued in any way because they might be the most talented musician or athlete or artist, right? So for me, that needs to be a key component, which 
sadly, in this day and age, is missing in the school system to a big degree. With all the information that you have, I think that's a massive shame. So the second thing I would have in that school is, I think, almost an element of, and, and I wish I had this when I was younger, an element of not just teaching subjects, but actually almost teaching life skills. Because, and the way I've seen this manifest is in terms of, and, and you might be aware, Daniel, and, and listeners following this will be, you know, there's a high level of uh, anxiety, mental illness, stress amongst kids, and to be honest, amongst adults, because that's just uh, the society that we live in at the moment. But I think from a, a children's perspective, a big part of that could be addressed by having some of life's conversations earlier. You know, I wish somebody had told me, you know, for example, this is how you're going to feel when your relationship breaks down. You know, you have a crush on a girl and, you know, it, it doesn't mean you're going to marry the first girl that you have a crush with. Uh, so, you know, when that happens, hey, it's part of life and this is how to deal with it. Almost having those grown up conversations earlier as opposed to kind of leaving it and, and then that situation happens and then you have a child who's really struggling to understand what's happening all around them. And then the third thing, the third thing I'll definitely have as part of that school will be an element of play. Like literally, you know, I, I feel like everything is a bit too structured in schools nowadays. So play could mean, you know, having more facilitation for, I mean, I've got a limited budget, right? So anyone who wants to go traveling, they can travel anywhere that they want to travel to and learn about any culture or any, any particular country that they want to get to learn foreign languages, you know, not just by hearing it from your French teacher in the school, but actually going, you know, abroad and experiencing that culture for yourself. Because for me, this speaks to a big area which I'm finding uh, really interesting at the moment is inclusion and diversity. And I think because sometimes we live such sheltered lives, you know, we, we grow up in the same town, same village, we go to school with the same people who look like us and speak you know, the way we speak and do what we do, that by the time we get to become adults, we actually really then struggle to fit in with a society that cos that's cosmopolitan and that's multicultural. So so for sure, that would be the third thing. So, uh, so, so number one was, so not putting kids in silos, you know, ex expressing their creativity. Number two, forgot my number two. Uh, number three was definitely traveling and allowing them room for play and room for discovery. Um, what was my number two again? Completely forgot. But yeah, those are my three top tips. Um, and I'm sure the listeners will be able to play back and get my number two as well. That's the best way to do it. Give them extreme ownership. <laughs> Hit that 30-second rewind and take those notes. <laughs> That's it. It's a test, guys. It is a test. I'll tell you this, Winston. Thank you for being on the show and being on the podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Of all the things that we've talked about today, the number one would definitely be around extreme ownership. So life is going to happen to all of us. But remember, when you face that challenge, when you face that piece of adversity, the question to ask is, how can I find a way to win with the cards that I've been dealt? So put yourself in that proactive stance as opposed to letting life situations and life challenges overwhelm you into inaction and inertia. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. 
If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.